Welcome to the Mostly AV Who We Are show. In this series, we highlight an AV professional, learn more about their story, and get their take on our industry. And now, without further ado, please welcome our hosts, Michelle Lorette and Jerry Gallegos. All right, well, welcome to Season 3 of Mostly AV. Season 3. With our co-host, Michelle, the wonderful Michelle. How are you, Michelle? I am good. And with me is Jerry Gallegos, the one, the only engineer extraordinaire. Uh, still doing some free agent stuff, huh, G? Yes. Yeah. Doing what I can. <laughs> uh, how did the uh, how the Caribbean project work out? It worked out well. It worked out well. It's uh, <laughs> a lot of fun. Had to, had to spend a nice uh, 10 days out in a, in a five-star resort in St. Lucia. That's cool. But you just said you worked the whole time. So, yeah, it was, it was, it was, by the time I got off and, you know, yeah, went, went to the room and it's actually, it went to the cabana, but, uh, yeah, uh, they, so uh, it's, it's better than, a, um, it's better than a red reef in, let's be honest. Right. Right. And it wasn't <laughs> in the panhandle. <laughs> better than the, uh, yeah. <laughs> so we, uh, so we, we, we decided to bring on, um, a guest, um, Yes. Yes, we're we're kicking off the year with a guest, and our guest today is Mr. Paul Zealy with AVCOIP. Hi, Paul. How are you? Hi, I'm doing just great. So, Welcome. how's everything going up in the Big D? I don't know. I haven't left the house in weeks. <laughs> are y'all on lockdown up there? Yeah, it's pretty locked down, and um, I've uh, been lucky because most of the people. I work. I tend to work remotely anyway, and nobody particularly wants travel or me to show up for meetings. So um, I uh, wander around away from the house every week or two to find more food. And yeah. other than that, I don't necessarily need to go anywhere. I uh, talk to people all over the world. Um, my customers are scattered all over the world, so it um, it uh, really doesn't matter where I am. The big difference is I'm always wondering if um, all these people will realize they shouldn't be paying for me to fly to Europe a couple of times a year. <laughs> right. Just fine without the trips. Uh, I don't know. I think when uh, I think when things open back up, that uh, people still like that in person for what we do. I don't know. You know, yeah, worst case scenario, but yeah, there's there's just a lot of uh, there's a difference being in person. Yeah. I I look forward to it. I'm tired of being locked down. I get excited to go to doctor's appointments these days. I'm just anything to get out of the house. Yeah, it's been very weird for me. Um, I haven't been on an airplane since I came back from ISE. And in the spring, I started thinking about it and realized it had been at least 30 years since I'd gone three months without being on an airplane. And, wow. you know, probably 20 since I've gone a month without being on an airplane. And, and uh I'm coming up on a year and that's, uh, you know, fortunately I got a couple of international trips in, in January and February and, you know, kept my mileage status up enough to, uh, to that there will kind of take care of me. I hate sitting back with the poor people, but, uh, plebs back in coach. Well, it's interesting. I did get to fly, um, in October, no, I'm sorry, November, beginning of November, uh, for my cousin's birthday in the panhandle of Florida, flew into Pensacola. It wasn't too bad. Um, 
But yeah, it was, it was, I mean, yeah, there's like this theater of cleaning, kind of just like the TSA theater of security. So, you know, instead of cleaning at 3 a.m., you know, they're cleaning in the middle of the day so you can see it, but it's still the same amount of cleaning. I mean, they're not extra cleaning. Let's be real. I mean, whatever, you know, so whatever, it's, it's fine. Um, And then there's always a percentage of people that you're, you know, we're not maybe under 5% that weren't wearing a mask like walking through the airport and it's usually um it's usually a white male uh, seemed to be the profile because i was profiling um and the irony is they're with a group of other guys right and all their friends are all wearing masks so they're just that guy in the group so i thought that was kind of interesting yeah well i've been very well prepared for this i mean i've been doing video conferencing professionally since 1993, Uh back when they were the size of a refrigerator and cost $50,000 for per endpoint. Back in the good old days. They required a staff. Yeah, back when there was margin in this stuff. Mm -hmm. I remember the good old days when stuff actually meant something. Um, Yeah. So, Jerry, um, when you went, how was your flight coming back? Were you sad to leave? It was was good, actually. it was it was actually uh, aside from the mask. I mean, because they, they threaten you now. It's like if you're not wearing it, if you you know, <laughs> gotta cover your nose and your mouth. And if if you, however, un- unless we serve you a snack, and then, then you can right. so you can eat. Well, you know that's the thing. They didn't serve us snacks because well, they, they, they give you. Well, now they give you uh, like well, because again, uh, from Houston to St. Lucia is two three hour flights right right right, so right they yeah. give you they give you a little bag that has a little you know those little microscopic water bottles mm-hmm. uh, a hand wipe and a bit the the little kind of i forget there must be a european thing but those kind of crackers that are a biscuit whatever yeah. Them, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah and so that's what you get you know so that way you, you, you know you, you can eat something and drink water well, see, in the old days, Paul would be that guy up in the front section where they'd have china and they'd be getting prime rib with, right. you know, <laughs> real silverware. And you're like, but I thought they didn't have first class on a puddle jumper. How did how'd he pull that off? <laughs> yeah. International first class and international business class is different from, from uh, flying domestically. Oh, God, totally. It, 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 is, a, uh, it is a step up. Oh, absolutely. Um, I've been blessed with taking some long ones, like from Korea or uh, Finland. Uh, That's yeah. cool. That's what it really makes a difference. I uh, I used to go to Asia and Australia a lot back when I was allowed to travel, and um, and uh, it just the you know I'm a wide guy to begin with. Um, to having having the extra room and. And some decent service makes a lot of di- difference when you're on a plane for 16 hours. Right. Because you're yeah. on a kind of plane, too. You know, if you're on that kind of flight, you're on the yeah. bigger jets that make room for that a larger first class. First well, that's class wh- that's where they make their money. Yeah. You know, they're just they're breaking even on the other stuff. And they'll make the money on me because and I you have tall people that problems. I, I usually I've get. I've heard of this. Yeah. No, yeah, there's uh, there's plenty of room in it in back in the regular economy middle row seats for you know for for a person to for SPOAV you know, people have their legs <laughs> legs go someplace. Yeah. 
So what's Between on my the road stomach back? and the seat back? There's not enough room for a 15 inch laptop. <laughs> yeah, hard hard to work. So uh, so what is, what's everybody's predictions for the year? Uh, how do we think business business is going to go? Do y'all think we're going to pull off an in person infocom? I mean, I think it might be dramatically reduced, but I, I think there'll be an in person infocom. It's Orlando, it, right? So yeah, we have Florida and, and I think down. there'll be an ISE. I'm still not sure. Yeah. Um, I don't think we'll okay. be allowed to go. Yeah, I think, I think it, it really Americans depends go. on what the shot situation is. My guess is the what situation by the spring oh, and stuff, they'll uh, you if you can prove you've had the shots, they'll let you travel. But I yeah. looked at the list and I'm not on it. <laughs> you know, there's there there there's lots of people uh, uh, who who are prioritized ahead of me. Yeah. So um, yeah, because, I, because I'm so young and healthy. <laughs> so spry, um, right? Yeah. I know. But, but uh, which is a little disappointing. But I think Infocom will happen. You know, travel will happen. Things will be down. I I really think that you're not going to see huge crowds. Nobody's saying, oh, it's in Florida. Everybody gets to go to Infocom this year. Right. Uh, the, the people who always go will be there. Yeah. Um, people who have business there, but it's not going to be, you know, bring all your junior techs and, and, and let, me, let them go to have a field day because I don't think anybody's going to be in that kind of, you know, financial Yeah, well, I think uh, area. That- the financial toll on integrators and manufacturers from the shutdowns. Yeah, I know. You know, no, I don't think the companies are going to be, you know, the manufacturers will probably be there for sure. Manufacturers will be there and the designers will be there and the senior people who need to see what's going on. I mean, it's, it, I always hated when people said, Oh, you're so lucky you get to go to Vegas for 10 days. Like no, I work really hard. Oh, it's <laughs> exhausting. No, I know. You know it is exhausting. It's uh, I, well, I I work hard, but I play hard too, and that's doubly exhausting, especially for I, an old lady like me. Okay, I folks, went, I can't <laughs> I can't pull it off like I used to. <laughs> what one of the last Vegas ones I went to when I was still at AMX? Um, when I left to go because I I taught at Infocom. And I do a lot of speaking in a lot of meetings um, between eight o'clock in the morning and 10 o'clock at night for um, eight days. I had about two and a half unscheduled hours. Wow. So my, I, when I got on the plane, my schedule was packed for more than a week. Well, I appreciate and, and I understand why people sometimes like they people always get very happy whenever I lose my voice because I, I usually by the end of Infocom, I'm tired of my own voice, actually. Like, I'm just I don't even want to hear it. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, I still want to use it. I just don't want to hear it myself. I'm just like, yeah, good. That's fine. We're both winning because I can't talk anymore. So I'll just practice some active listening. Um, so what do you think technology wise? Anything? What do you think the... This year's trend is going to be. I mean, I know we're not well, like the paint industry, so we're not going to have a cover the, of the year, but, you know. It's really going to be figuring out and adapting to what the new normal is. So if you consider the fact that 
a whole bunch of people realized, hey, I don't necessarily have to go to an office every day. Um, right. Real and, quick. And, and, real and quick. Say, um, real say, quick. Let me pause. Every time one of us says a buzzword, all of our listeners can drink. So Paul said new normal. So everybody just want to let you know. So anytime we say a buzzword or what you can say, and we're not going to tell you what they are. You just figure them out. If it's a buzzword to you, that's fine. Go ahead and drink. It doesn't have to be alcoholic. If it happens to be alcohol, that's fine. I didn't say take a shot. Okay. I just said have a drink. So wow. water. That, that's a game changer. I'm inclusive. See, see how inclusive I am? <laughs> I'm even allowing the non-alcoholics. And so that's, that's how we're rolling here in 2021. So, okay. I'm sorry, sir. Continue, Mr. Oh, Zeller. what was I talking about? Yeah. I was just <laughs> thinking about what a, uh, a string of buzzwords. You know, usually I use the string of profanity, but I'll, I'll switch it up for this one. Um, Article. It's, it, it, it's really the idea around what are, what is pro AV going to be. I really think that um, there, there's going to be a bunch of potential impacts. One is if it turns out that 20% of the white collar professionals realize they don't need to go into an office anymore. What's that yes. going to do? Commercial real estate build outs that sort of things yep um, yeah commercial real estate's about to have a long slog um and and then because you have remote workers i uh, my guess would be it's going to double down on the huddle space but a lot of the huddle spaces weren't really built around remote access they were built around two people having a meetings because Within no, six feet I, of each other. <laughs> I, 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 well, I always had to do it because I'm a loud talker. And, you know, if yeah. I give you a cube, everybody gets mad at me. So so you go and take these little private offices. and um, But now you're going to need those spaces for, for remote meetings. So I think you'll see. Oh, I see what you're saying, yeah. BYO type interfaces uh-huh. and, and group echo canceling and cameras and, and all of that, and and they're not as big a dollar, but they're um, they're big numbers, and and that brings us into the real issue is it's a lot easier to maintain a single hundred thousand dollar conference room than um, forty twenty five hundred dollar conference rooms, uh-huh. and and so the idea of how are we gonna monitor, maintain, manage uh, all gotcha, these gotcha. rooms yeah. uh, becomes a big selling point in that. It's not, you know, because quite frankly, you know, anybody with, with decent Google skills can probably uh, find enough to make a decent three-person conference room and, and have it go on. But if you need a staff of six that's running around and plugging cables back in and, you know, finding adapters and everything else, it's very expensive for a company to run. You know, it's that people don't realize that the staffing for supporting that sort of thing is is now more expensive than the actual hardware. And you know, the IT, you know, because right now there's a lot of companies that don't have AV people. Mm-hmm. They have they they always you know what little of it it either yeah. the integrator or to the IT department, mm-hmm. and the IT department is going to become overwhelmed now because now they're going to have a lot of AV spaces. Yeah. So, so their plate just got they now they're yeah. another plate to spin up in the air. 
I will be the first to say that I don't have a great track record with manufacturers listening to me when I tell them what to do. (laughs) But um, I really believe that the way we'll see this, which is going to be dangerous for the traditional AV industry, is companies focusing on on selling things like that through the IT channel. Because anybody can hang a monitor or put it on a credenza. In reality, for these rooms, you really don't need switching per se because you can run an HDMI cable up from the monitor to the desk, plug Mm -hmm. into it. And then it's, you know, video is easy because video is binary. It works or it doesn't work. You know, it's, and, you know, people try to sell pan tilt zoom cameras and everything else, but nobody likes using a pan tilt zoom camera. So, uh, so they get kind of set up. Uh, the the big issue is always audio. Um, it, it comes back to that every time because um, you can live through a bad meeting. You know, I there's a lot of times that we do Zoom meetings and you know people don't have their video on. Or right. We'll have oh, video yeah. on because we're we're sharing a document, um, but the but the audio is critical, and when you have three or four people that's kind of a weird sweet spot past the cute little, you know, desktop uh, speaker thing and, and how you're going to, uh, and, you know, it's not worth it at those price points to go in a full DSP. So I think there's a, a lot of middle market that hasn't been addressed that, um, the companies that are starting to really clean up on the the cameras and some of that can home office space, the Logitechs and the Polys and that don't have the expertise. And I haven't seen the traditional DSP powerhouses really interested in pushing down into that $800 list price market, you know, an echo canceler with three microphones, you know, a HDMI interface, mm-hmm. um, very simple. What you need for a small room to be a step up beyond the, the, the speakerphone, um, it really doesn't exist. And, um, and if somebody manages to build one and bring it to market that is easy enough to use, that they can sell it through the uh, tech datas of the world, um, where the IT people are already buying their other stuff, that's a huge hurting on the traditional AV integration industry because right. that's going to be where a lot of that market is. And the product sets that we have access to through our traditional manufacturers are overkill. Sure, I could go put in a, you know, a small buy-up or small QSC, but I don't need a, you know, a, a $2,000 DSP yeah. in a room for four people. Right. And I think there there is some stuff that's being addressed. Like right now, one of my contract jobs I'm working on right now, it's, uh, it's a lot of that. But there is, I mean, you know, I think one, the closest product that I've seen to that would be like the Biamp DVO. Yeah, but, like, but, that's, but that's twice as expensive as the market will bear. Well, for that room, as yeah, so you're talking about a room that's going to have a budget of twenty five hundred dollars, and and 
they can have a, a 70 inch display in there for 800 bucks. And you can say, okay, you're going to pay, you know, $1,600 for your mic mixer. Well, it also becomes your USB interface. So it's like one single USB cable. It's a perfect bring your own device box. It is, but it's, but it's very expensive yes. for that market because, because you're talking about a jump up from the $200 USB speakerphone, which is a horrible right. experience in those places. And, that, and, um, and that's a huge jump up to the next, next level on the market. Yeah. Cause, um, well, I mean, Logitech has some solutions. It's going to be the little soundbar things, you know, soundbar solution with a camera, speakers, and a built-in microwave. See, they're going to go on that, but once again, uh, they're not. None of them are great solutions. Oh, I agree. Um, yeah. And, and yeah. so they're, you know, I, I'm saying there's a there's a big hole in the market and money to do it well, and I don't see anybody addressing that. They're either yeah. diving to the bottom. Or they're saying, because in reality, most of the, what's the little QSC, um, but most of the, the small eight input DSPs are not being used anywhere to the level of what they need to be. Right. There's just enough budget in there to, to overkill on, on the audio. And it, and, it's, and it only becomes more apparent to the customer, and this is partly psychological, as displays get cheaper and cheaper. Yep. I mean, it was a lot easier to sell a two thousand dollar DSP when it was when it was paired with a six thousand dollar display. Yes. Oh, totally, totally. I, I totally, you know, yeah. And, I get and, that. And, it's, and that's just psychology gets lost, you know, when when the uh, when and and the customer really can't, you know. It's another weird thing about audio. If you do it right, nobody notices you did a good job. Right. Um, yes. You know, nobody ever says, "Wow, that conferencing is is so, so clear and great," because because even clear and great conferencing is still getting squished down and sent over the internet and everything else. And and so you get these companies who are very proud of concert sound, when in reality you need somebody to hit the price point that can get eight kilohertz, fairly flat, that doesn't make noise when my phone rings, is what's needed for the market at a price point where you can sell tens of thousands of them. But that's not what AV manufacturers are geared up for. And I don't think any of the real consumer uh, companies, you know, the reason you see a million uh, PTZ USB cameras out of China and no audio is because audio it is harder. Yep. Um, right. you know, it, it's there's engineering and everything else, but there's a lot more finesse in in audio. Um, like I said, video is either working or doesn't work, and it, it it's kind of it is what you get, but. You know, I've been in a lot of rooms set up with very expensive equipment that sounded horrible because the rooms weren't tuned right. Right. And and it's very similar because if you go after that market, you actually have to design it, assuming that somebody doesn't know what they're doing. And even in pro AV, you can't. There's a tremendous number of people who have never bothered to learn a second DSP programming language. Because um, 
because they don't want to be bothered with, with learning. The first things. language is so comfortable, though. It's like your favorite sweatshirt. DSP just... is a DSP. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's just the interface. Uh, and yeah. that, you know, that, that's actually one of the things that's so true about audio. Video is a static. There's no art form to video as far as video conferencing. Mm-hmm. However, it, there is to audio. You know, you don't look at a picture of in a video conference right now as we're in a Zoom call. You're not going to, oh, man, you know, I'd like to change the greens and, and Michelle's. Right, right, right. Her greens are, or her, her lighting's making it. And nobody looks at it that way. With I can a do that. I have color correction adjustments on my camera. <laughs> exactly. You know, so and, and, and I'm still using a washed out auto white balance. <laughs> right. Well, same as me. Because it's an auto, you know, but um, audio, it does make a difference how somebody sounds. You can tell somebody who's like, oh, you're in, a, you're in your living room and it's all echoey and, you know, you can hear the dog barking outside and, you know, stuff that's very distracting. And, and you can also, you know, somebody that has good audio equipment, they sound good, they project well. And at the end of the day, you're communicating Mm-hmm. you're not really communicating yeah. visual. The visual is just there to kind of give you a comfort level that you are talking to that person you're talking to. You can have like a, you know, yeah. a half-ass, you know, eye contact. Yeah. But yeah. you want to hear somebody clearly and, you know, intelligibly. Yeah. And if, and if possible night with sounding as close as they do in real life, that's the experience. So the yeah. audio is, is, is 90% of the load. Video is just like, okay, that looks cool. Yeah, it brings me to my favorite AV joke. Um, Tom Kerr, an instructor at VideoCom, at uh, Infocom and Avixa. Um, uh, and it's uh, play along um, for, at home. What is video conferencing without video? Audio conferencing. Right. What's video conferencing without audio? Surveillance. that was a good one Tom but when I was uh, I mean when I was a kid and um, dating myself as a person who who probably is going to be drummed out of the industry for admitting to be that that old when you had to you know I lived in New Hampshire and um, Boston was to the south which was where the major TV markets were but you know we had that uh, we had a thing on top of the TV set that you could turn and you know, motor on the roof, it would turn the antenna. Right. And back then, um, if the Celtics didn't sell out or the Bruins didn't sell out, they were blacked out on the Boston stations. So they had a deal with the TV stations that said, if we don't sell enough tickets, we're not going to put it on TV. So uh-huh. people will come to the game. But we live far enough north that you could turn the antenna way around to the north and just hit that Portland station. And, you know, once again, kids, you might not remember this, but when I was a child, uh, everything was standard definition. You can say <laughs> your, 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 your beautiful full SIF 320 by 240 nominal resolution TV images. And and because it was really far away, it'd be all snowy and grainy and you could barely see that they were playing. And the audio was bad, but the games were always on the radio. So we would... We would literally um, simulcast it. Yeah. Simulcast it. Aim nice. it there. Turn down the turn down the audio on the TV and do it because you could live through 
something like a basketball or a hockey game with video that you fairly wanted to go out. But if it was going uh, yeah. snow and everything through once again, I was a child. This stuff was analog. Um, and uh, uh, you wouldn't watch it. You'd turn it off after five minutes with the audio. Same thing um, in a meeting. If there's noise, echo, feedback, that meeting will end almost immediately um, because you can turn away from a bad video. So, so I think it's underappreciated, you know, because um, you go through, but it, it ties in a lot of times that what people think of as the premier part of a technology isn't really the part that ends up being important. So one of the things I say when I teaching about, you know, network transmission and audio and video, and I, for those of you who don't know who I am, that's what I do. I, um, I work with products and technology, primarily moving audio and video and control around networks. Um, but the easiest part of AV over IP is sending audio and video across the network. That is trivial. That was solved a long time ago. The hard part is actually getting the two boxes to talk to each other and have a user interface that's usable is, is much more difficult technically and hasn't been really adapted because people are so enamored with the fact that, oh, gee, we can send 4K across a, you know, a Cat5 cable that they haven't thought about all those things that really make this application worthwhile, like how easy is it to plug in another one? How easy it is it to plug in one from a different manufacturer and have it work and yeah. all of those things? Um, so that that's kind of where I see, and, and that sort of thing will become really important once again, if, if you know, think of it, Jerry, how would you like to, uh, have to be the, the IT guy that got given 40 conference rooms with 130 meetings a day to support. If, especially if you had to run around to every conference room every time somebody couldn't figure out which, which way was up on a USB cable. Right, and make sure that your laptop's selected yeah. on this. Like so, so the support on those sorts of things is gonna be the nightmare. And ultimately I think is what's going to drive kind of who wins it's, it, it's the experience because once they kind of get audio in there at the right price point it's good enough um it's a commodity and we've seen that with tv sets or with displays every two months you know they're a hundred bucks cheaper and um i don't even know if you can buy a, a, a 48 inch display anymore it's like i think the minimum they'll let you buy it is 65 or 70 it's or or at least they don't even bother advertising them. Yeah, no, they don't. Too big to put them in cereal boxes. Now they're like exactly. It's like how is your um, yeah. how are your video conferencing stocks doing, Paul? Are they up? Well, Zoom took a big adjustment dive, mm -hmm. um, but it was it was uh, floating up high. Um, I also. Uh, uh, running about even, but it's a long-term play. I'm a huge fan of a of a company, a Norwegian company called Bexa. Yes, yes, um, yes. It's it's people who have a long history of building companies and selling them to Cisco, 
and um, and uh, they have the way that they're approaching centralized enterprise um, video conferencing is great, but you know they don't get those massive swings and runups because they're in the Norwegian stock exchange. So I don't uh, think there's as many speculative speculators. <laughs> Who had I, to, uh, I'm a, I'm a fan to of Norwegian companies. Norwegians, are, I think, are very yeah. good engineers. I think they, you know. But there's a lot of other good awful. companies out there. There's there's TeamViewer. It's mm-hmm. not just in the unified communication space, but is. But they also do help desk type of things and, and, and more uh, more collaborative. That's a German company. I so, like TeamViewer. That's how Giddy helped my IT guy. That's how he yeah. fixes my laptop. They're all doing well, but nobody had, you know, had the meteor, meteorotic or whatever rise that that Zoom did this year. And, um, you know, Zoom became, you know, had that uh, had that experience where they've become a word like Kleenex that people just use. I have people say, let's have a Zoom meeting, and then I get a uh, Microsoft Teams invite. The Teams invite, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I am a Zoom customer. I don't really resell anything, um, but I do most of my meetings over the, these various platforms, and I do really like Zoom, and they have really – you know, they've got the money to, I guess, this year, but they've really been adding the features and going through and, and doing a really good job on on the usability and the features. Um, Have you used Teams lately? Teams is... Uh, I, su- use, I use Teams today. Surprisingly, and, and Microsoft has really upped their game for whatever it, it reason. Has, it has uh, shockingly. It I, has definitely improved. Yeah. I think the big difference is that Zoom really does has a better experience on the multi-person meeting. Yes, um, I would agree. Uh, where where Teams has the advantage, um, and will they'll always be a player, is it ties in very tightly into Microsoft Office and all these other things. Right, there you go. But I'm not a big believer or user of you know, instant messaging type platforms, and you have to buy into the whole Teams Kool Aid. Um, to do it. Um, and there'll be a lot of things where I'm like, well, where was that attachment? Oh, you know, I just attached it to Teams. Okay, now I have to open up Teams and go find out where it is and, and download it. And they'll, you know, and, and they want me to leave it there as opposed to bring it over onto my computer. And, um, and, it, and the bigger the organization is, probably the more it makes sense to have that type of thing happen. But it just doesn't fit in as well to the way I work it's as, not as Zoom does. Doesn't it, you know, like if you're not, and I experienced this firsthand when I, you know, talking about the job that I was doing earlier out of town. Well, the company I was contracted to, they use Teams. Well, since at since I'm not really employed by any company at the moment, right? Teams. So all of a sudden, it's like I'm having to stall crap on my computer. Just so I can interact right. with the team players. Right. You you can't even dial in audio to teams from your phone without installing the teams app. Right. Which I found when somebody said, Hey, get on the teams. I'm like, Yeah, fine, just send me the invite. 
and you know I'm out someplace and uh, I'm looking for the dial-in number, and the only way I can get to it is you know oh, yeah. is download Teams over 3G East Texas. Uh, Right. And so I can get onto a meeting that's, that's already going fun. on. <laughs> it has more universal universality out of it. Yeah. You can go on just the web interface or download the app. Mm-hmm. Right. And the thing is, like like you were saying, with Microsoft, you kind of, you have to buy at least part of the Kool-Aid. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, you can use our product, but you're going to have to buy the cup to drink the Kool-Aid. But, but that is the strategy of the big company. And that, that's what big companies at last do well. Google is doing really well in the markets that they do. You know, everybody I know who has kids and my nieces and nephews and, you know, the schools have just said, yeah, we're just going Google Docs and Gmail because it just works on everything. We'll, yeah. we'll make it happen. And, and the strategy what it comes down to be is the whole is more than the sums of the parts. So for instance, Cisco, let's take us out of this and not been a big fan of Cisco video conferencing since, uh, since the Tambrook acquisition, but mm. um, they do it, but their biggest part you. is um, I, I would argue, and you know, this is an arguable point that if you took any of the million markets that Cisco plays in um, networking, phones, video conferencing, storage, whatever, that if you said, oh, we're looking for best of breed, they're not the absolutely pinnacle in any of those things. Mm -hmm. But they're solidly good enough in everything. And their big value, what they've done is they've made it that if I've already bought in and I have Cisco networking and Cisco switches, it is significantly easier for me to buy a Cisco voice over IP phone and just plug it in and have everything work than to buy a Lucent and integrate it. Right. And that's the thing that Cisco did phenomenally great. They had all these. Oh, they're fantastic at it. Experience centers all over the country or all over the world, really. Yeah. So they're like, you know what? I'm not going to talk to the IT manager. I got him because he's buying my switches. Right. They would talk to the, the, the CF, uh, not the what's it? IFO, whatever the yeah. IT guy, the technology, yeah. man, the companies, and they're like, I want to, yeah, the CTR. It's like, let me buy you lunch, come over to our experience center, and you're gonna fall in love with my touch tent because it's a one button mm-hmm. push yeah. or two button pushes, and that's what they want. They're like, uh, you know, they're like, I don't really know this technology. Yeah. I don't want to have to, you know, they hey. fell in love with that, and um. But that really drug you into very uh, Cisco centric environment, whereas you know most people didn't realize is like, well, they told me that this, you know, the touch tank can do everything. It's like, well, yes and no, you know. Yeah, it can do everything unless if you want to work with something that's not Cisco, <laughs> and, and then then you want to go. But but they'll say, well, we have a Cisco that will do everything. And Cisco, Cisco is really good at building brand loyalty. And, and some of the reasons are it's really good. If you learned how to set up a Cisco or router switch 20 years ago, they're still using the same command line. They, they have this incredible continuity across products. So the technology people don't object to it because, oh, yeah, I already know the Cisco syntax. It's another piece of gear. I'm going to have to learn four new commands 
but I don't have to learn how to log into it or, or back it up or anything else because every single Cisco device works the exact same way. Um, something I would argue that AV manufacturers could learn. Yes, very much. I, I, I have had, I had had uh, devices that came out at the same time that did very similar things. And I said, I defy you if I hit all the logos and coloring for you to get into the user interface of these anywhere and, and, and be able to tell that they came from the same company. Oh, wow. And that's not uncommon at all. Um, well, it's almost like they pride, some companies pride themselves on not being like the other guy. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, you know, it's like, they're oranges. We want to be apples, you know, or, you know. <laughs> yeah. And um, oh. so there's a guy, I think he's, I think he's, I think he's with Logitech now, but Simon Dudley. Uh -huh. Um down in Austin, really smart guy and um, and uh, a, a good speaker. Um, but he he talks about design, and and his, the way he tells a story is um, there's no such thing as intuitive. Um, there's only familiar. And if, if 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 you grew up in the jungle and had never seen a house or anything, your your Tarzan story and they rescued you and brought you back to an office building, you would not intuitively know that that rectangular thing, I go over to that round thing and twist it in order to get out of that room. Right. Because you had never seen a doorknob before. People say, oh, it's intuitive because it's a doorknob. No, it's familiar. And, and if you can make things that are going to be familiar and relatable, people are going to be able to use them easier. And from my standpoint, Fewer of them are going to call me and bother me because uh, <laughs> because they can't figure out how to make it work. So, and and it's very strange. A lot of times, very true. And and it's not just manufacturers. I can't tell you how many times. And I've been doing this for thirty five years. I go into a conference room and I can't figure out how the hell to get this room up for a simple meeting because it's such a convoluted user interface. It might be beautiful, but I did not really need to uh, bring up a Picasso and know I have to hit the eyes in order in order to start a meeting. <laughs> right. You know, design, design is secondary to, to, to functionality. You know, big labels, big buttons, um, not having 60 varied menus, um, having consistent user interfaces across products. Those things are really important. And um, there are fewer and fewer performance differentiators, you know. Right. And that, Jerry, with your golden ears, I, I defy you to sit with a standardized pair of speakers and, and listen and tell me which one's the, um, the, the QSC amplifier and which one's, you know. Uh, a crown amplifier, you know, as far as them um, working as audio amplifiers, they've right. gotten to that point. They have power, low noise. <laughs> right. You might, you might, hear, this one sounds a little different than that one, but you can't tell which one it is or which one's technically better. It's just right. it's different. Well, and, and the better sounds better is a hundred percent subjective. Right. Uh, good point. Yeah. Um, when it, when it, 
goes through because, you know, specifications are beyond anybody's golden ears. And, you know, we could get into the esoterics in you know, matching the output impedance characteristics of the amplifier with the speaker. But we, but when you're talking about the broad part of the market, it, it doesn't matter. So if you were actually rational when you were going out and buying these things, you'd say, okay, there's two 200 watt per channel speakers. That one consumes 60 watts less power <laughs> when it's running than this one. So it's not gonna be as hot, it's not gonna run, or that one's actually got a user interface that I can get to from my desk and I don't have to get in a truck and drive to the customer's office. Right. Or, or those sorts of things. But that's not what anybody in the AV industry spent the last 20 years concentrating on. So they continue to concentrate on those things that are less and less important as everything gets good. Right. Yeah, because even today, one thing that I find that there's a lot more budget equipment that it's is really that better than the commercial stuff was 20 years ago. Oh, I remember when Greg Mackey walked in uh, to a music store I did work for back in the 80s with his little mixer under his arm. Mm-hmm. And um, they were like, it's $800? <laughs> exactly, yeah. It, we're never going to, you know, you know, you know, we sell $3,000 mixers. <laughs> right, exactly. Oh, I remember uh, the Mackey when they came out with a eight bus series back yeah. in the 80s. Every, you know, everybody was comparing them. I mean, at that time, I was working at a high-end shop where we did, you know, recording equipment, like two-inch tape machines yeah. and, you know, $50,000 mixers and that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, here comes this $3,000 mixer that, on paper, gave yeah. you the same features as the $50,000 mixer. And, and it did. I mean, there were certainly ways that they were not the same, you know. If you had a if you had a pot go on a Mackie mixer, you know that was a wiper on the circuit board, and you were screwed trying to figure out how to how to how to get that done, as opposed to the beautiful you know Soundcraft individual you know Penny and Giles faders and and being able to pull them out and pop in a new one or but, versus taking the whole board down to the repair shop. But on the other hand, you know. I can have four spare Mackies <laughs> and still have change back from my thirty thousand oh, dollars. Yeah, that's and, a, uh, and I remember and, having a Spectrosonics console where you know had half of the board was actually Trident transformers, the other half was Gen. Oh. So each, those channels had different sounds to them. Yeah, and it had P and G faders, which you know each fader is like cost of the cost of a small Mackie mixer. Yeah, nice. and and um, but. They were industrial pieces of gear, you know. There were times, and I did work in that area where um, I'd say, okay, you know, we're going to tear apart this and we're going to get a half loaded 24, a half, um, a half loaded 48 input frame, and we're just going to gut swap everything over and build a great big desk, right? You know, because they were made to do that. Um, but you see, the, the thing that happens when things either start to commoditize or somebody changes the way you're doing business, a lot of the big companies say, we can't make an, you know, a $3,000 
studio quality mixing board um, will will go broke, and they don't realize that at some point that will be all there is. And and so you see a lot of companies that were the top of the world go out of business, and it's in every industry. When I was in college, um, Boston was the center of the computer world. So um, digital equipment, weighing, um, uh, yeah, all kinds of these little mini computer companies that had sprung up saying, hey, people need computers, but they don't need that room full of IBM mainframes. They're fine with this little computer that the size of a refrigerator sit in the office. And, and they were ruling the world selling their $30,000 uh, computers, uh, general data. Um, not one of those companies is in business today. And they were, they were the Zooms and um, you know, the, the high flyers of the day in the 1970s and 1980s. They, they ruled the world. You know, the 128 quarter just blew up with big buildings and money. And um, but not one of those companies made the turn into their because they were built around the idea that there's one computer for an for a office as opposed whereas IBM was one computer for a company they're one computer for an office right. and they didn't make the turn to one computer for a desk and and an amazing number of those one computer for desks didn't uh, make the turn to one computer for a pocket. Exactly. And, 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 you know, AV doesn't quite move as fast, as quickly, but as we move more and more to IT, that pace of technology, um, you know, the, the, the only technology courses I took in school that are still valid today are acoustics courses. Right. And that math was a hundred years old when I took the courses. <laughs> we prefer to think of it as timeless math, yeah. you know, because, you know, yeah. Non-quantum physics has not changed a lot <laughs> since the turn of the century. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. um, you know, they're different techniques, but, but when you start to look at, at um, the rapid changes um, you know, just how badly we as an industry took the, the switching from, um, from analog coax to funky digital transport and, and how we're handling the, 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 the move on to IP. And you, nobody who wants to be in this industry and remain relevant and technical is going to get away with saying, oh, I've learned all this stuff. I can milk it for 30 years and or five years. Now it's, you know, I, I've been doing this for a long time and I'm good at it. And I spend a huge amount of time learning new things. Just staying up, just keeping up. Just, just keeping up and, okay, this is relevant. Now, it, now they're moving into these types of technologies and, you know. Right. What's going to happen? Um, I'm just getting used to H.265, and you know they're coming out with all kinds of new um, things. VDI has been on my list as something that is just going to make it over to my side of Pro AV. It's taking the it's and that's uh, new tech, the video 
toaster guys, but it's it's essentially a broadcast, uh, a a prosumer broadcast over IP standard. That's right. That standard. It's open. So so they've invented it. They control it, but it's opened up, mm-hmm. and and oh. it's you know it's gotten into things like OBS Studio had had VDI drivers. So you can buy a VDI camera plug it in and, and work with different manufacturers and different things. And, you know, I got my VDI deck and my VDI desk and, and, and these other things. And on paper, it looks like it would, you know, it would be a compelling thing for, you know, to go up against, you know, in between your um, SDVOE and your IPTV. Once okay. again, that's that's a still a spot. big gap. Yeah. And and that'd be a very compelling spot to to be able to slot some technology in because not everybody needs a an NVX or a SDVOE level system and the hassles that go along with it. And the cost involved. With it. Yeah. Right. That, the that, level and that's what, that's actually one of the things that, that I I'm and I've kind of predicted this a bit. And I've always worked. What have you, Nostradamus, Jerry? Tell us more. What have you predicted? <laughs> no, exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> At some point, it's, uh, and, and I just experienced it with this, this past job that I did. Is, uh-huh. You know, even at the NVX level. Yeah. Uh, it's like, if you buy a video switcher, you're kind of dumb. You're, you know, you're buying old technology by yeah. today's standards. You know, and I'm, you, uh, know, the, you can go to an, a video over IP distribution setup. That's the smart, that's the forward thinking. Well, and, and especially because of the promise of things like being able to remotely maintain things, being right. able to, you know, when you're looking at maintainability and maintenance costs. Mm-hmm. So say, say the systems cost exactly the same amount, but between having a centralized switcher, you know, What's it going to cost you if you suddenly need to go from a 16 by 16 to a 16 by 17 in an HDMI basic switcher? Or when you burn out a port, what's involved with replacing it? Is it, is it, oh, I'm going to grab one box and replace it and send that one back? Or am I going to replace a chassis or a multi, multi-port card or, or something else? So when you start to look at the maintenance costs... So if you look at something and and I keep on going back to I'm old, but it, I, I keep on relating these to other technologies. Um, I remember in the 90s, a lot of people saying that voice over IP stuff is a toy. I know how to program a Nortel switch. I'll have a job forever. Right. Uh, the president of Nortel didn't have a job forever. They stopped being a company. But... The reason that voice over IP took off was not because a voice over IP call is a better phone or has better quality. The reason is because if you have a voice over IP phone and you're moving somebody to another office, you don't need to put a ticket in with a specialist to program a switch or punch something down. You tell him to stick his phone in the box with his computer when he walks down to the other office and plug it in when he gets there. And his phone works. Right. That 
that right there, it, it has nothing to do with how it acts as a phone that it's taken over. And, and so that power and the network effect and being able to do those things, um, I don't see a lot of AV companies going past lip service in trying to be, be that convenient. That's something that Cisco did really well. Um, they took over voice over IP, but the reason is because, because it essentially got to the point where, hey, tell your IT guy you can go do a two-day class and you don't need to worry about having a phone guy anymore. Yeah, and I've experienced that in some companies where it's like, hey, you, you move desks or you move to office, whatever. It's like, no problem. They yeah. to, I just Your login works wherever. And now we have that yeah. universal thing. Yeah. Your, your login is your desk. Right. You know, I, I own a lot of software where I own a seat. Mm-hmm. So I don't, it, I could be across the globe mm-hmm. and operate my seat on that particular software. Yeah. And it, anybody on the other end of my communications or whatever I'm doing right. is ob- oblivious to where I'm at. Right. And that's as long, as long as only one copy of the software is working at a time, they don't care how many computers it's on. And it, it actually, people are so accustomed to that, that I think some of the AV people don't, don't necessarily acknowledge that, even though they're personally experiencing it. Mm. Like right now, you know, you got companies like, you know, if you have, if you have an Xbox, you're buying a seat with whatever software you buy. Mm-hmm. If you go to your buddy's house and you log into his their Xbox, then all of a sudden you get your games. And your settings and your special. Oh, uh, yeah. That's nice. You know, just like uh, People love that. gaming, I got on Steam and I bought the software and I can use it on any computer in the world as long as I use my login. Yeah. And I'm authorized to use it, you know. So that kind of it's that's where it's, that's where it's been. Yeah. Some of the AV industry is just having to start acknowledging it. Yeah. And, and, and as other industries do it, that becomes the new normal mm-hmm. where that's the type of things people expect, you know, it's very similar to how badly we got beat up as an industry when Apple TV came out, you know, Apple TV was not, at all a proper technology for a conference room for a lot of reasons. No. But it had some features and some things that were simple to use that people just said, why is it I can do this at home and I can't do it on this expensive right. thing in my office? Right. Um, Content sharing stuff, a part of it. Yeah. The problem that Apple Apple TV had at first, what and it still does to this day, is the management, the backside management of it. Well, no, that, that's one of the reasons it's a horrible thing for an office. Horrible. It's, it's not manageable. It's very much tied to a single person, you know, but people get used, you know, it's the same sort of thing. Um, one of my- An iPad as a control panel. It's like, if you use an iPad, the exact same issue, and I always tell people like, well, I can just get an iPad as a, rather than the whatever brand A, Touch panel is like, yeah, you can do that, but it's going to cost You're not you not happy because yeah. this, now you have to have an iTunes account. You have to manage that iTunes account. You have to deal, you know, yeah, you have to deal with the, the constant firmware updates and operating system updates and all the stuff yeah. for a device where 
that's an on issue if you get a proprietary touch panel. Yeah. That goes but, along with all, all versions of software that you try to utilize a consumer uh, tablet. Yeah. Well, because they aren't set up for, 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 you know, multiple users. So if I'm going to use consumer in my house and, you know, people can change the TV from their own phone or their own iPad. If I'm watching TV and my kids um, accidentally or just to mess with me, change the channel, you yell at your children, <laughs> done. In a professional situation, that can be career limiting. Can you imagine that you're sitting there flipping slides and you can't figure out why your fly, slides are slipping, flipping? Meanwhile, in the president's conference room, because you forgot to unpair from their conference room and go to the new one you're using because we all run because right. they say everybody's got a phone in their pocket, so you'll just run the meeting from your phone. But then you get into this huge thing of identity and what's pairing and and um, and the whole idea. Uh, so it, it's the same sort of thing that, um, you know, you're talking to somebody on the phone and the valet brings up your car and suddenly the valet is talking to that person because your phone paired to the car when the car got close enough. You know, all of these things that are incredibly convenient when you're the only user of, of the system right. become mm -hmm. really difficult when you have hundreds of random users. And it's not that they can't be done. They just can't be done with the same methods and technology. And I think we should do them um, because, because, you know, my constant thing that I still can't figure out why nobody's done it, but I will admit I haven't done it either, is if I'm inviting the conference room to a meeting right. and my Zoom address is in the meeting, why doesn't that conference room realize what the Zoom address is and put up a button that says, ah, you've got a Zoom scheduled for this. Would you like to start it now and give me a button? Totally. Yes, it's in a Zoom room, but that's proprietary and only Zoom. It doesn't work really well when somebody sent me a Teams meeting or a dial into something else. So, but the idea of at any given conference room, there's probably only three or four platforms that would have to recognize to save three minutes per meeting, every meeting thousands of times a year. Yep. And, you know, there's some backend coding, some stuff that have to be done, but if you looked at the, the reduction in, in tension, um, of something like that, that happening, that being in there. Right. And, and, and I'm sure people have done it, but that was another thing that Cisco, you know, claimed to fame when uh, everybody else's video conferencing system was coming in under $20,000 and Cisco came out with one and said, well, we've got this great one and it's only $200,000. <laughs> but their biggest selling point was was they had a phone with the touchscreen program on it. When you walked in, it was one button to touch and your meeting started. <laughs> yep, and they sold a lot of those 10 times as expensive systems because of that kind of features. Because they thought of it like an IT company. Yep, exactly. Well, it's got to be as easy to use as a phone. They marketed it to the right people. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. Here, you know, they got into their... The IT manager and all that. And they were nice, but, you know, when you're talking about having your change change back from your quarter of million dollars, because you also quickly realized 
that you had to somebody have to buy a second one to have somebody to talk to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You got to have the other end. And I think that's the protocols. I mean, because at this point, how old is H three three? It was ratified in 1999. Became uh, slightly usable in 2002, and became really kind of commercially available. Not in cheapy software, build it yourselves. In um, in 2007, I think. Right. Well, actually, the first Polycom had H.323 in it, but the networks were ready for it. Right. Uh, yeah. And it was really about 2007 when 323 started taking off because it was a combination of the networks and enough of the codex had it that that it was worthwhile. Right. So it's it's, it's in technology terms. Oh, it's all. Oh, nobody uses. The only people who use 323 anymore are governments. Right. So that, oh, that makes sense. You know, it, that's kind of like things where we're moving on from. And, you know, we spoke to earlier where people was like, well, I learned this stuff. So I know it. So I should have a job forever. It's like, yeah, right. You know, so, hey, so when, when I started my career, gonna help when, a bit. <laughs> when, when when you got a when you got a fax, it went into the mailroom and they put it in a blue envelope and got sent around in the mail basket and your fax got delivered to you or it was urgent. And, and there was a guy who had the contract to maintain the fax machines for, for Raytheon, and he thought he was set for life. <laughs> <laughs> Young guy, been to school, could could, uh, could could repair and maintain these Canon faxes. He got, he had a Canon degree in facsimile. You know, he was, oh, he was set for life. That's and, awesome. Um, and uh, when was the last time, even though you still can get, pr- because you get scanning printers, that have faxes in them. When was the last time somebody actually plugged a phone? Oh, I love that. Back into it. There was a Facebook meme running around for a long time. It still does, I'm sure. Where it's like, hey, can you know, can you send me a fax? It's like, oh, I can't. Well, it's like my fax is not here. It's like, where's your fax? It's like back in 1988. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there are some industries like banking that they Bank. won't. They it's won't let that. Cool. They won't. They won't let it die. Part of that die. is. Part of that is legal because it was... Well, it's a peer-to-peer transmission. Yeah, well, it was still well into the 90s before they'd accept a fax signature. Yes, yes, yes. On a legal document uh-huh. or like a bank and stuff. Yep. You'd still have to come in and sign. And yeah. But but now... Um, and stuff like that. It, 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 it pisses me off when somebody sends me uh, an NDA or something and it... And the PDF isn't set up, so I can just paste everything onto it in a PDF, and I actually have to print it, sign yeah. it, and scan it back in. You need Blue Beam. <laughs> blue Beam is your savior. Yeah, uh, all good. all of those things, the visual signatures, but they're they're acceptable. And um, but you know, a lot of people, if they just build it in Word and didn't think about it, they uh, that make a PDF in a way that. It's it's not you can't really edit it and put in and make it a signed PDF. So you have to print it out, sign it. Well, the and, link always disclosed in the metadata of PDF. Whether they're whether the document's flattened or yeah. not, the, the yeah. layer always disclosed within yeah. the metadata. So that that you know, so it's doable. And PDF does it too, but 
again, unless you have the expensive program to do it, whether right. uh, Adobe or, you know, like a Bluebeam type right. scenario. Yeah, it's, uh, but there's also a lot of online, you know, I get a lot of things that that's go to a website right. and, and it's a digital signature on the website. More right. and more from banks and lawyers, that's the way they do it. And now they pretty much all accept DocuSign, right? Yeah, now. right. That's that's the one. I couldn't yeah. think of what it was, but they I just like send them. you a link and you sign it. You know, I've I've had you know companies send me NDAs or we do contracts and they do it that way, and that that's a fantastic experience. And um, and and ultimately, this is you know get into my uh, my political leaning. So. We're not getting into politics. We're wrapping this No, no, this just, shit just, up. just the doing? idea. This is this is the intersection with technology and, okay. and talking about those same sorts of things and efficiency. So, thirty-five years ago, I did very similar work to what I do today. You know, different mm. technologies, different things. But I've been a design engineer for for a long time. But in you know when I started my career you know, at the level of that I work at today, there was me doing designs and working with technology, but I also had a graphics person, a draftsman, a technical writer, and a third of a secretary to support me in things that are all done in things that are sitting on my computer today. Mm. You know, it, it is, it is, it was, it was no faster for me to work with a draftsman than it is for me to do it today myself because I still had to sit and work with the draftsman. But now I don't have to, I don't have another person. Yeah. A, a, a highly trained specialist with a, with a job for life <laughs> um, uh, who to do it because I just do, you know, I do my own drawings. And if something, you know, if something needs to go to AutoCAD or architectural or something, it goes to a specialist. But 95% of what I work on are, you know, they're, they're really fancy flowcharts. You know, it's, it's, it's high-level design stuff. Are they pretty? You know, the, not always, but, <laughs> but it's documentation. It doesn't necessarily have to be pretty. And, um, but, okay. but. It, you know those costs and those those secure support positions. Uh, you know there is danger in in our industry of some of those positions. You know fading out. You know there's always going to be the guy who pulls the cable, mm-hmm. and there's always going to be the architect. I'm I'm fortunate. I've gotten high enough up in this industry that that the stuff that I do. I like to think can't be um, can't be automated because because um, it's uh, you're, you're, it's complex. <laughs> it's complex, and you're part of the innovation thinking part of it. Yeah, well, because what I'm really doing is I'm mapping the market problems to the technology. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, they both fluctuate. Your your job is just to connect the two. But, but more and more, what I'm doing is working with companies on platforms, which are essentially a specialized computer box, 
And then they can use the same box. And the only difference between different products is the software they put into it. Yep. So, so the whole idea of if I build a DSP and it's got eight inputs and in, inputs and outputs, I can aim it at the hotel market. I can add voice over IP and echo cancellation and aim it at th this market. I can put other features in and it just becomes, becomes software at, at, at that point. And earlier you mentioned about the, you know, the QSC DSP. I used yeah. on for the last, what, three or four years where there, there was not a single mic line connection, like a physical oh, yeah. connection to it. Everything was over the network. Right. And, and so as everything gets a network jack and goes in, but it also gets to the point is whether it's VDI, which potentially could do it today because mm -hmm. you can get VDI for your laptop. At what point is it that they're aren't going to bother having an HDMI connector or a USB connector on the desk uh, in in the room? There's just going to be a network connector or a wireless network, and so all of that switching infrastructure that we're spending a huge amount of time building today and and learning about because it's based on transmitters and receivers goes away, and there's some management software someplace. And and then where is where is the place? Because I I'm almost surprised that I mean nobody's done it well. Sure, there's a lot of you know click shares and things like that, but they're they're not positioned as mainstream products and you know robust to be able to take on your normal switching. But at some point. Somebody comes up with software, or Microsoft says, okay, we've decided that on the next generation of computers, we're not going to have, you know, laptops already don't have HDMI ports on them. They've got a USB, mm -hmm. but, but at, at some point, um, you know, is the network fast enough or compression good enough or processors enough? So they just say, no, this is just going to all be services and you're going to buy a Microsoft network distribution server and and based on the rules and your permissions and the things that are already in that you're already managing as a company anybody can say i want my display i want my laptop on that display it looks up to see if you have permissions and just makes it happen that's right your laptop what does that what does that do and that i don't believe that that can be that far away oh yeah it, it it's doable today it's you know, and the savior for this, you know, this industry to some places is if you go to a Microsoft or Google or maybe not Google because they, they like going down market. But you say, hey, you could take over the AV industry. You could make a billion dollars a year. They're like, why would you want to be in a, you know, a billion dollar a year industry? You know, <laughs> Harman, Harman yeah, Professional like as a billion dollar company was a rounding error to Samsung. You know, true that it's it when you start talking about the size and the clip, you know, we don't think of ourselves like that. But in the scheme of technology, we're the the pro AV types of markets are are tiny, and um, we might have survived so long just because it's not worth beating us up because we don't have a lot of lunch money. <laughs> 
So, Paul, where do people find you? How do people want to track you down? Are you? Well, you know, it takes it takes an invitation from somebody I know. You can find me on LinkedIn. That's the only social media. You can follow me on Twitter, and I promise I will never fill up your uh, phone by actually <laughs> tweeting. <laughs> I have significantly more followers than I have tweets. <laughs> um, and uh, if I make it past uh, past my opposition, Frank, uh, by the time um, because by the time this comes out, it'll be in the second round of the AV Nation. Uh, the award AV awards or whatever they are, <laughs> but uh, I have some I have some very formidable competition in the first round in in a guy that is not only very smart but um, actually knows a lot of people. So uh, we'll we'll see if my curmudgeonly ways can get me past the first round. But if I'm still in it, I invite you to vote for me because this is this is the total extent of my social media outreach and. And uh, begging for votes. This is it. Uh, this, this. Yeah, it's uh, it's in, engaging with social media is not worth industry acclaim. Fortunately, my sense of self worth comes from within, so I'm not really worried about that sort of thing. Gosh darn it! Gosh darn it! Uh, well, thank you for joining us today, Jerry. Thank good to see you. Good to see you. Happy New Year. Nice to see you, Jerry. Everybody. And 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 I'm hoping to. Uh, be down in Houston in the next week or two to go look at a sailboat. I will make sure that you guys know uh, when I'm going to be there and maybe I can buy you a beer or two. Absolutely. You know, yeah, we, stuff, so. we can always be bribed. Yeah. yeah. You should probably feed us too. Right, Jerry? Okay. I'll feed, yeah. I'll feed you too. That's fine. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks. All right. Thanks everybody joining our uh, season three grand opener. Congratulations. I, I, I will also say, guys, mm-hmm. sincerely, you're pretty much the only AV podcast left listening to because uh, because I usually find myself, if I'm listening to him, trying to beat my head on the steering wheel or something. And, and you guys actually pick people and ask them about things they know about. And uh, you've done a great job with, oh, with pulling them out. So it's... We like smart people. Guys, that helps. You, it's a fantastic podcast. I'm your subscriber, by the way. Oh, oh thank you. <laughs> thank you, sir. I, I, I'm the guy, in case you didn't know. <laughs> but sorry, you can continue. <laughs> I know. We probably should have done personalized gifts for all five of our subscribers. But I, once again, fell down on the job on that one. Um, but that's okay. It's a new year, right? It's a new day. New year for a new start. That's right. So, well, thanks, everybody. Happy New Year. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you on the next episode. It's a wrap. Thank you for listening to Mostly AV, Who We Are show. We hope you have a wonderful day and that you stay safe. Until next time, take care and stay AV awesome.